When you're lost in the darkness, look for the pod. Specifically, the Prestige TV podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network, where we're breaking down every new episode of HBO's The Last of Us. On Sunday nights, grab your battery and join Van Lathan and Charles Holmes for an instant reaction to the latest episode. Then head back to the QZ on Tuesdays for a deep dive with Joanna Robinson and Mallory Rubin. From character arcs to video game adaptation choices, story themes to needle drops, we'll parse every inch of this cordyceps-coated universe. Watch out for mouth tendrils and follow along on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibly listed at indeed.com slash plain. Just go to indeed.com slash plain right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Canva. Better presentations are possible. You just need Canva presentations. With it, you can easily and quickly make stunning slides. All you have to do is start with one of Canva's professionally designed templates or generate slides with AI. Then add graphs, charts, and more from the massive media library, and you're done. It's that simple. I always think that the best use of AI in work is it does the thing that you naturally aren't very good at. And personally, one thing I'm really terrible at is making visual presentations. I'm not very visually inclined. I'm not good at picking out you know, photographs or abstract conceptual images to go with ideas I'm trying to put forward in presentations. So it's kind of nice to have an AI-powered tool that can help me make these presentations in literally seconds. Nail your next work presentation with Canva presentations at canva.com, designed for work. Today, why the U.S. keeps shooting stuff out of the sky and a reality check on UFOs. Ever since a big white Chinese balloon floated across the ocean and into U.S. airspace, the United States has now shot down four objects over North American skies. The first one, that balloon, has landed in the waters off the coast of South Carolina. We are currently harvesting its exploded remains for information about Chinese surveillance technology. As for the other three, well, we don't know much. The scattered remains are littered in the Arctic Ocean, the Yukon Territories, the Great Lakes, and the government has not been entirely forthcoming. The head of NORAD said the military didn't fully understand the propulsion system allowing these objects to stay in the air. That's a little weird. And into that vacuum of weirdness and uncertainty, conspiracy theories are flooding. What isn't the government telling us? What kind of technology is floating around American skies? Is it American? Is it Chinese? Is it human? My personal take on UFOs is a little bit like my position on God. I know that sounds weird, but give me 30 seconds to unweird it. So I'm an agnostic reformed Jew. I don't know that I fully believe in God. I'm questioning. But I also don't think anyone can be reasonably positive that God doesn't exist. For the simple reason that we haven't looked everywhere. We haven't explained everything. Yes, you can you know, go back through time and show that many things that we associated with God were eventually explained by science. We thought God made the, the sun rise and the moon and the stars. We thought people could be possessed by angels and demons. And then we discovered gravity and telescopes and the solar system and psychosis. So as we whittled away at God claims, a certain person could go through history and say, well, we use science and theories of a deterministic universe to explain the supernatural. So that's evidence that there is no higher power. But that's not rational. Just because previous supernatural phenomena have eventually been explained by science doesn't mean that every phenomenon is explainable. If you find a thousand white swans, you haven't proved that black swans don't exist. 
And that's how I feel about UFOs. We have many, 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 many historical reasons to be skeptical of UFO claims. In our episode a few weeks ago on conspiracy theories, we talked about all these government programs in the last 70 years where the government would experiment with aerial technology, the public would either see or recover some of that aerial technology, and the government wouldn't say much, and it would allow the public to think this was a UFO when, in fact, the government was just serving a geopolitical end. They were trying to keep secret projects out of the public eye. And if you think that sounds like a conspiracy theory, you know, tin-hatted, look up Project Blue Book. But you take this history of debunking possible UFOs, and what does it actually add up to? Like, just because previous UFOs have been explained by humans and science doesn't mean that every unidentified flying object is of our world. Again, if you find a thousand white swans, you haven't proved that black swans don't exist. Maybe you just haven't found what's really out there. So to tell the full story here, from the balloon, to the aerial shootout, to the UFO freakout, from the real story of Roswell's flying saucer to today's alien watchdogs, we've got two guests. Coming up first is former Atlantic correspondent and Substack writer, James Fallows, on the Chinese spy balloon and its aftermath. And then we've got science writer and noted extraterrestrial skeptic, Mick West, talking about UFOs, UAPs, aliens, and evidence. I'm Derek Thompson. This is Plain English. Jim Fallows, welcome back to the show. Derek, it's always a pleasure and honor to speak with you. I want to start by taking us back a few weeks to the Chinese spy balloon that kicked off this whole trend of America shooting stuff out of the sky. You know as much about China and Chinese-American relations as anybody that I know. Give me your summary of what you think happened here. So the reaction on the U.S. side to which I had immediate and total skepticism was the idea that this was some Chinese provocation. They were giving the middle finger to the U.S. They were showing their greatness, et cetera, et cetera. And it seemed to me the much more likely explanation, given everything that seems to be true about China and true about this kind of aerial device, is that this was a screw-up. And the question was, at what level was it a screw-up? Was it something that happened with the winds, uh, just uh, at the very tactical level? Was it somebody within the People's Liberation Army who had some big idea that they were going to do something about the, uh, uh, you know, to sort of taunt the United States? Was it something, was it a miscalculation at the very highest level of Chinese leadership saying, okay, we're going to, you know, show a new thing we can do? There are instances of all those things in past Chinese history, but mainly it seemed to me this was going to make China end up looking clownish, as I think it did. And so at what level did the clownishness, as opposed to the menace, start on the Chinese side? It's certainly possible that the level at which the uh, mistake began is just the direction of winds. I was fairly persuaded by one of your reports in your substack that you look at wind currents and the weather patterns that were uh, presence in North America at the time, including a little bit of a polar vortex. And that might be sufficient to explain how a Chinese spy balloon that might have been a legitimate Chinese spy balloon trying to take pictures of something in Guam or who knows what flew off course and ended up in Montana. Tell us a little bit about how the winds might have played a key role here. So there's a there's a general point about winds and the way they would affect this U.S. and Chinese surveillance, which is that the way the winds blow around the Earth, which is almost everywhere in the northern hemisphere, west to east, means that it's very easy for um, countries on the Pacific, like China or Russia, to send balloons across the U.S. or Canada because that is where the wind would take them. And it's very difficult for the U.S. to do that with China because you'd have to be launching them around Moscow or someplace to have the wind blow them over China and get them over Tibet and all, all the rest. So it, it was not surprising that you had this um, drift uh, westward from this, you know, Montana area to South Carolina across the United States. The particular anomaly 
that wasn't clear on day one or two, but that lots of weather experts then wrote in was that the time when the balloon made its fateful, menacing crossing starting in Montana coincided with one of the coldest moments in recorded history on the U.S. East Coast coast, when all this cold air from the uh, Canadian, from the Arctic and Canada came down much further south than normal. And there's been a excellent recent series of pieces in the Washington Post where they've had both security reporters and uh, meteorologists saying that it appears this balloon might have been uh, launched someplace, you know, on the uh, offshore in China and been intended for Guam. And something kicked it way up far north towards the Aleutian Islands, and then something pushed it way far south down to the U.S. And that same thing that brought uh, temperatures of minus 100 degrees or something like that to Mount Washington in, uh, in, in New England may have been the same mass of air that pushed this balloon down to the U.S. So to me, that seems the most likely scenario now. We shoot down the balloon off the coast of South Carolina, and in a matter of days... U.S. surveillance goes from seeing one balloon in the sky to seeing suddenly a constellation of crazy, weird flying objects that we start shooting down. How would you explain what happened? How did our radar technology, surveillance technology, go from seeing one thing to suddenly seeing all these things that needed to be taken down? Well, there is, of course, the possibility that new things are coming from space. And so we don't want to say that's uh, that's impossible. I once worked for Jimmy Carter, who, among his many accomplishments, was uh, sort of a, a UFO uh, interested uh, per- person. Um, it seems to me the much more likely hypothesis is that radar to work has to be tuned. There is so much stuff that radar could be bouncing off that it's um, it, it's very much like if you're driving across country try, trying to find find a radio station on your on your car radio back when there were car radios and you would have a seek or scan button and it would skip around because there's so many very weak and scratchy and non uh, legible stations that it can't really uh, focus on so it finds the ones that are worth looking at radar works very much the same way something that i hadn't realized until i saw radar you know in, in airplane cockpits is that If you're looking at the ground many times, it seems like there's all kinds of crap in front of you. And it can be birds, and it can be dust, and it can be smoke from a forest fire. It can be all sorts of things. So radar has always had to be tuned to be able to separate signal from noise. And generally, military um, radar has said, if something is moving at a velocity of zero knots relative to the prevailing air, and if it's so small we can hardly see it, and it's made out of plastic so there's nothing bouncing back, we're not going to pay attention to that because we're looking at something going 500 knots and made out of metal that's coming from Russia, et cetera. So I think suddenly it's recalibrating and you see all these things as if you're bringing a microscope or a telescope or binoculars into focus and seeing things that were always there, just hadn't been looking for them. It reminds me, and this is not a radar analogy, but it reminds me of how after you watch a scary movie that involves a demon in your house, suddenly you become hypersensitive to all of these little creaky sounds in your house that are just a normal part of the event of living inside of a house that's a bunch of wood put on top of more wood. Houses creak, that is their nature. But when you are primed to be highly sensitive to those creaks, suddenly it feels like there are just demons behind every single closet. And from a sort of radar surveillance perspective, it seems like we were spooked. We got spooked by a balloon we started to retune our radars to look for more demonic balloons. And as a result, we ended up finding what and what might very well have been a lot more balloons. I mean, is, 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 is that the general picture of things? Yes, I think that's an, an excellent way to put it in uh, plain language, <laughs> as one might say in plain English. So, um, yes, yeah, so there's things that have always been there. You know, there's all sorts of, sorts of things in our ambient environment that we just, uh, our senses t- tune out because we know they're always there, that they're not worth paying attention to. Here's another sort of uh, data point for people to bear in mind. One reason that weather forecasting has become as accurate as it is, is that the U.S. is putting up these weather balloons all over the place. They're 
there are hundreds or thousands of them per day. So if you're flying around in little planes, as I've done, you see these things and you just know they're part of the landscape. They go up, they come down. Suddenly, they are these ominous threats. And we had a couple of days in the U.S. of, oh, the Chinese are coming with their balloons. And the Chinese, actually, I'll just mention, uh, they went through an interesting sort of um uh, political spin cycle on, on their own. Initially, when the U.S. is saying, oh, the Chinese is are, are coming, they're threatening us, the Chinese were saying sort of forelock tugging. We didn't mean this as a mistake. You can see that the wind currents, um, they have recently um, shifted in two ways. One is to say, oh, the U.S. is really beating up on us. You know, they're becoming so mean and aggressive. And now they've gone back to sort of the Marco Rubio position, which is, Yes, the U.S. is showing its weakness by overreacting to these balloons. So it's been there's been sort of dynamics on in the politics of both sides. I want to keep a couple of ideas in the air. One is that, speaking of in the air, we just had a very strange meteorological event that blew a balloon into Montana. There was a national freakout. Republicans got on Biden. He felt like he had to shoot a lot more balloons out of the sky. Americans, in the absence of information about what exactly these things were, started freaking out about aliens. And we've just spooked ourselves into believing that we are surrounded by alien aircraft. That is one possibility. It is also the case, though, that we are entering a generation of warfare, of military technology, where these kind of aerial technologies, unmanned aerial technologies, things like drones, are going to be a bigger part of the picture. And it's conceivable that around the U.S., off the coast of California, maybe, potentially 60,000 feet, 70,000 feet in the air, it's possible there are uh, drones and balloon-type devices that are spying on us. I mean, we know satellites are spying on us in, in um, low orbit, but it might also be the case that that the drones and these kind of balloons are just going to be a part of our, of, of our existence for the next few years. Is that right? Oh, I, I very much agree with that. And I think it's it's worth distinguishing in the scenario you present, which I think is entirely plausible. You know, nations spy on each other all the time. Everything you're sort of putting into uh, digital form, somebody is likely to intercept at some point. For aerial surveillance, there are different altitudes of significance. There's very high altitude surveillance from satellites, which are extremely precise and sophisticated for some things, for, for photography and all the rest, and for heat signatures. There are things that are very close to the ground, for example, at zero feet of elevation, where you have actual spies or people driving around. Um, at a couple thousand feet, a couple hundred to a couple thousand feet, where drones can fly, it's difficult for, quote, enemy, unquote, drones to operate in the U.S. right now because they are pretty easy to uh, to, to detect for uh, the FAA and the rest. So the question is, what at this intermediate altitude from, say, 40,000 feet to 60,000 feet where these balloons go, what else they might get? And so at face value, it doesn't seem that there is that much more they might get from that altitude. But conceivably, you know, there is. And that's presumably what the U.S. is now looking for with whatever it is fishing out of the waters out of us off South Carolina. Right. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater here and say that even though there are aspects of the story that are kind of ridiculous and the U.S. may have overreacted and we might be having a freak out about balloons that are not, in fact, alien technology, it still is the case that there's... Um, people who are worried might be directionally accurate about the idea these aerial objects are going to play a larger part of our future, especially if relations between China and America continue to be this chilly. Jim Fallows, thank you very, very much. Uh, Derek, it's a pleasure. Thanks, so, thanks to you. This episode is brought to you by Canva. Here's a writing tip for work. Don't just write. Use Canva Docs. It has Magic Write, a built-in AI text generator powered by OpenAI to help you create almost anything, from meeting agendas to job descriptions, marketing plans, proposals, and more. Canva is here to help you get it done. If you've used AI for work, for writing, for coming up with build bullet points for a podcast, a meeting, you know that AI works best when you're specific, when you tell AI exactly what you want and then tell it again and again, help me do this, help me talk like this kind of person. The more specific you can be, the more helpful you'll find it is. Generate your draft fast with Canva Docs at canva.com, designed for work. 
This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibly listed at indeed.com slash plain. Just go to indeed.com slash plain right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. That was former Atlantic correspondent and Substack writer, James Fallows. Next up, we've got the science writer and noted extraterrestrial skeptic, Mick West. Mick West, welcome to the show. Thank you. Very glad to be here. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Well, I'm an investigator of UFO videos is my main uh, interest at the moment. But my background is that I used to be a video game programmer about uh, nearly 20 years ago now. And after I retired from that industry, I just got interested in investigating all kinds of strange claims, things like conspiracy theories, uh, the supernatural, and uh, UFOs. And now here I am. I want to situate the story of the last week in the broader history of UFOs in America, which I guess we now have to call UAPs, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. Let's go back to perhaps the first most famous incident in U.S. history, July 8th, 1947. Roswell Army Airfield issues a press release stating they have recovered a flying disc, which is sometimes reported as a flying saucer. This Roswell incident lives on in pop culture. It has become synonymous with aliens and UFOs. Remind us what we actually learned here. What actually happened in Roswell that might be important for understanding of what's happened in the last week? Well, I think Roswell is a great example of uh, what in ufology I call the low information zone. The uh, initial reports that came out of Roswell were very mixed. You know, first of all, there was a report of something uh, crashing, and then later there was a report of a flying saucer being recovered. And then there was all kinds of conflicting information that was out there. And the reason that there was all this conflicting information is that uh, it was essentially a military event. And the military is never very forthcoming about what they are actually doing you know, for very good reason. And at the time, of course, uh, it was kind of in the start of the Cold War, and there were lots of concerns about uh, Russian intelligence and finding things out. And as it turns out, uh, what the Roswell event actually was, was in fact a balloon. It was a crashed, essentially a like a weather balloon, but it was a scientific balloon that was used for a project called Project Mogul, which basically was listening uh, for the sounds of nuclear explo explosions in the atmosphere. And so it was a very sensitive project. And so the military's uh, interest was in not revealing what was actually going on. So I think at the time, they were fairly happy to just uh, let the speculation about aliens and UFOs actually run rampant. And so we just really had this massive confusion around the event, which is something that we see today with military UFO encounters. And so for the last 70 or 80 years, and especially during the Cold War, this has become a theme. The military isn't forthcoming. And people, Americans, come to believe in alien UFOs, not because these uh, flying objects or uh, aerial phenomena use inexplicable technology, but rather because they use secret technology that the government doesn't necessarily want people to know about. Is that right? Yeah, it's really that the 
government or rather the military uh, by default will not tell you what they are doing. And there are things that are probably very straightforward that can be very explained very easily that have become these famous UFO cases that we just simply don't know about because it contains something that's a little bit sensitive. And it doesn't even mean it's something that's amazing. You know, a lot of the time we hear uh, rumors about supposed advanced technology that uh, has been observed, but we never actually see that information. And a lot of the times when it does come out what these things actually were, it turns out it wasn't that advanced after all. It was just something that they didn't want to talk about. Like They don't want to talk about the type of radar that they use, for example, which is a really boring thing for most people compared to flying saucers, but it's something the military wants to keep covered up. So we get this kind of... Um, this area in which rumors and speculation can grow just because the military doesn't want to talk about things that are actually fairly boring. And before we get into the news of the week, I want to make a point that might be obvious to many people explicit. You would agree that two things can be simultaneously true. On the one hand, the government can be consistently uh, unforthcoming, if that's a word, the government can consistently lie or withhold information from the public, which increases the public's belief that there are UFOs that are not actually alien technology at all. They're either U.S. technology or maybe some other country's technology that we don't necessarily want to share uh, with the public. That can be true. But also it can be true that aliens exist, that extraterrestrial intelligence exists, that at some point in the last year, 50 years, a thousand years, we have been visited by alien aircraft that we either didn't pick up or perhaps did see and don't fully understand that we saw, right? These two things can both be true, yes? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. There's nothing about the absence of evidence that proves definitively that we haven't been visited by uh, by alien visitors. It could well be that uh, you know perhaps they've come once or twice, you know, a very small number of times. It does seem, though, that the absence of evidence, the lack of um, good photographs, good videos, or uh, highly corroborated eyewitness testimony, uh, does indicate that they're not very common if they are uh, visiting. If alien spaceships were, in fact, whizzing around every single day, then we would eventually expect to see them. But yes, it's entirely possible. It's entirely possible. You can't rule it out that the aliens may well have visited us. Aliens may well be visiting us right now and just be very, very stealthy about what they are doing. But the real point here is that there isn't any good evidence of that. And many of the things that we assume to be evidence upon investigation tend, turn out to be explained by, oh, that's a glare or, oh, that's a balloon. Um, and we will get to some examples of that. But let's dive right into the news of the week. The government, once again, in the last week, after shooting down these three other objects, has been less than forthcoming. What do we know for sure, as of Thursday afternoon, about what these objects we've shot down are? Well, we know very much about the first object, which is this very large balloon. You know, we know that it was a Chinese balloon. The Chinese admitted as such. And we know that it had surveillance information, surveillance equipment on it. So we know it was essentially a spying balloon. Uh, we think that it was originally heading for Hawaii or Guam, and it got blown off course, and it was not actually intentionally sent over the United States. Uh, and we know that you know a large balloon like that is not very stealthy. It's something that you could basically see with the naked eye as a white dot and certainly through binoculars, and that it's something that uh, would have shown up on radar. So it wasn't a, a stealthy spy balloon. We know then that after that, we had three other incidents, all of which appear to be consistent with balloons and have been described by various people, including Chuck Schumer, as being balloons. Uh, and we know that they move at, at air speed, meaning they just drift along. They're not transmitting anything. And we know that at least one of them looked like a Mylar balloon. It was kind of described as being a silvery balloon with a small payload underneath it, which is probably something like a Pico balloon, which is a, a hobbyist radio balloon where they try to send a radio as far around the world as they can. So this may well have been something that's been around the world twice and just happened to be flying over Yukon uh, at the time it was uh, shot down. Uh, and, and I think we also know that it's perhaps a bit of an overreaction. Uh, we spent a lot of money uh, shooting down these balloons. Now, the first one you could... Uh, make an argument that is justified. We want to recover this surveillance equipment. But the other three 
do not appear to have any real justification for shooting them down. There are lots of balloons in the air. There are lots of other objects in the air, like large birds that we don't shoot down all the time, that, that provide about the same threat to aviation. Uh, uh, but we still spent about a million dollars shooting down each of these three balloons, which is uh, perhaps an overreaction. In the days after we shot down these UAVs, and maybe they were balloons, Representative Jeff Jackson of North Carolina um, published his own report of what he understood. And he said that the three UAVs that had been shot down since that initial Chinese balloon were all, quote, fundamentally different from the spy balloon. They were smaller. They were flying much lower, about 20 to 30,000 feet above the ground rather than the first balloon, which was, which reached an altitude of about 60,000 feet, you know, almost, you know, twice as, as high as a typical, um, uh, uh, domestic airline would fly. He also said that while one of them had a shape and size that was consistent with the balloon, the other two were more like the size of an ATV or a four wheeler, which means they're, they're small and they're hard to see. Have those initial reports uh, been corrected, or are you describing something that is consistent with represent, Representative Jackson's uh, reports? Yeah, the that size of an object, something about the size of a small car, is is what a pilot might describe the size as being. Uh, balloons are very hard to judge their size. If all you've got essentially is a sphere that you can see in midair, and you don't know how far away it is, and you're zipping along at three hundred to five hundred plus miles per hour in your your fighter jet, uh, you can't actually get too close of it for fear of collision. So you've got basically this small thing off in the distance. Very very difficult to judge exactly how big it is. And a lot of these balloons, like hobbyist balloons, are of a size about you know three feet. In, in diameter, uh, weather balloons get a quite a bit larger, but still not you know, not that much larger than a, say, a small SUV, for example. Uh, but yes, this is certainly consistent with just regular balloons of the wide variety of types that we expect to see in in the air, uh, and very different, obviously, from the initial balloon, which was two hundred feet wide. Uh, we're talking about things that are much smaller, perhaps just a few feet wide. Do we have any good theories about where these balloons came from? You said that some of them are hobbyist balloons. I mean, do, can we rule out the possibility that this is just like some guy in Pennsylvania, some some person in Iowa who just has a fascination with balloons and radar technology that just launched something that's been floating around for a bit? Or do we have reason to think, given this kind of equipment, that they're more likely to have been launched by a foreign government? Well, there's no other indication that there's any sophisticated equipment on these these balloons. You know, one was described as being a, a metallic balloon, like a mylar balloon with a small payload uh, beneath it, and that's actually suspected to be a, a specific balloon that someone in the United States launched and that went around the world and kind of came back around over the United States uh, at that time, and it's it stopped transmitting radio information at the same time that this other balloon. Um, probably the same balloon, was shot down. So there's a very good case to be made that it's likely this particular Pico balloon by just a radio hobbyist. Now, the other two, like we don't really have any good information about what they are, but we do know that there are you know, literally thousands of uh, balloons up in the sky at any any one time uh, of, of a large size and probably you know, tens of thousands, if not more, of the smaller type because you know, party balloons get released constantly all the time. Uh, we can't figure out exactly what they are, but there's there's no real reason to suspect them as being nefarious. I think uh, one of the politicians came out of the briefing suggesting you know, there were things like uh, par- uh, uh, car sales lot balloons, you know, promotional balloons that might have just got loose, things like that. You know, and that's perhaps a silly example, but you know, it's the type of thing that does happen. Balloons get lit- let into the sky just for random reasons. And there's also a lot of scientific balloons, like universities and research organizations and scientific organizations uh, release balloons to study things like upper-level winds and pollution in the upper air and radio transmissions and things like that. So there's lots and lots of um, benign explanations for what we might be seeing. But of course, it might also be something that was released by a foreign adversary, Russia or China, to do things like test our defenses or test what might happen if a balloon gets blown uh, over the United States. And uh, I guess they've got their answer now. I don't have perfect information about what exactly we shot down. You're not saying that you have perfect information about what we shot down, but it certainly seems like if the federal government has a certain 
confidence or, or, or a certain degree of confidence, that what we shot down are essentially a bunch of relatively unsophisticated balloons. I'm not sure why that point hasn't been made more clear to the American public. Because once again, I think the administration or the government's instinct to withhold information from the public about UAP or UFOs is creating a space, creating a vacuum into which conspiracy theories are running. But you know, maybe just one announcement from President Biden that says, look, we shot down this Chinese balloon. We had a conversation with the Chinese government and said, be careful about your, your balloons being swept into U.S. airspace, even if it's by, um, by wind. We changed the way that we're using our radars. We got more noise compared to signal. We shot down some stuff that we don't think you should be worried about. Please, everyone, get on with your lives. Hug your family. Have your dinner. Go to the movies. This is not one of the 1,000 most important things for you to care about. I mean, again, we don't have all the information. So maybe there's a very good reason why the government hasn't done that. But it seems to me the government should have done that. I, th- I think they kind of largely have. It's just kind of a mixed message that is coming out. Uh, I think there's a degree of, uh, you know, they overreacted after these the, the first balloon and they started shooting down every single thing that uh, popped up on their, their new newly configured radar. And if they continued doing that, they'd be shooting down like a couple of balloons every single day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I think but spending they, billions of dollars a year shooting down a bunch of escaped used car lot balloons. Yeah. So I, I think they probably realized that the, those three balloons were a bit of an overreaction and they've, they've probably detected a bunch of more balloons since then and decided just to let them go on their merry way because they really are not a, a threat to aviation because it's a very big sky and balloons and planes are very small and the chances of collision are vastly smaller than probably hitting a, a flock of birds. Uh, so I, I, and I think you know they they basically said, don't worry about it. It's not aliens. It's, there's nothing to to be concerned about. Uh, uh, there's no threat to the American public. Uh, they just haven't really given the the full accounting of exactly what happened. And I think partly is that's because they're reluctant to do so. You know, they can use the excuse that it was a threat to to aviation, but that's really not a particularly good one for spending a million dollars every time you detect a balloon flying over the country. In the last few years, you've published a lot of articles and YouTube videos debunking various famous sightings, sightings that might be uh, more likely to be inexplicable and more likely to be extraterrestrial, certainly, than a couple of balloons that have fallen now in the Yukon and uh, Great Lakes. Um, I want to ask you about the famous gimbal video, if that's okay. Um, If people haven't seen this, I'd encourage them to check out the video. It is maybe just a couple seconds long. And just to describe it briefly, for those of you that don't want to stop the podcast, the gimbal video is taken by Navy pilots. It shows a dark object, roughly shaped like a top or a dreidel, skimming over the clouds, turning over its end in a way um, that seems to defy aerodynamics. Like at some point, it seems to pause in midair, despite winds uh, around it that are swirling at about the equivalent of 130 miles per hour. What do you think this video is showing? I think it's showing, well, first of all, it's an infrared video, which means it's showing heat. It's not showing what the pilots could actually see with uh, their naked eyes. Uh, I think what it's showing is a distant hot object, possibly something like a distant jet plane that's probably about uh, 30 miles away. And what we actually see on the video, the shape, uh, what you described as a a dreidel or flying saucer or a spinning top, uh, is just the glare from the hot engines. And we know from various previous cases that when a plane is very far away and you train an infrared camera on it, then all you can see basically is the heat coming out of the engines. And it spreads out in the same way as when you look at the sun, all you can see is a giant glare, even though the sun is actually relatively small in the sky. So we're seeing a glare of a hot engine. And the interesting thing about it, of course, is that it, it appears to do this amazing rotation and kind of stand on its end. Uh, but we did some investigation of that uh, on on Metabunk, my, my website, and it turns out that the rotation of the object exactly matches the rotation of the camera that is required, which seems like an odd thing. I mean, why is the camera rotating? But the way the camera is mounted, it's on one of these targeting pods. It looks like a little torpedo that's underneath the wing of the plane, and it's got a, a camera that looks kind of like you know one of those pan tilt zoom cameras that you see security cameras. But the way it's mounted means it can't actually track something from left to right without rotating. So this camera actually has to rotate, and it especially has to rotate when it crosses over the forward direction. Uh, And 
because it rotates, the image rotates in inside the camera. And the pilot doesn't want this rotation. He wants the, the, the picture to look like what he sees out the window. So there's another mechanism inside the camera that just rotates the image the right way back up. But the end result, the end result of all this rotation is that any glare that you get in the image uh, will end up rotated because the camera's rotated, but the glare doesn't rotate. And then the derotation rotates it back, which makes the glare rotate. It's all very complicated and kind of difficult to get a grasp on. No, actually, I this... want to pause here because this last point, people can actually do a home project to see what you're talking about. If you have an iPhone or you have some smartphone, any phone with a camera, and you are filming a glare, say, coming off of a table, and you turn that phone 360 degrees around and then, and then stop it and watch the video, what you'll see is that everything in the video will rotate 360 degrees, but the glare seems to roughly stay in place, which looks like it's hovering in midair and doing something that is quite alien. But you're saying this is simply a function of the rotating nature of the infrared camera catching a glare in the distance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, And you, you can definitely see this with uh, just a simple uh, phone. Uh, the simplest way to kind of duplicate the shape of the glare is just to touch the lens of your camera very gently with your finger. And this will just create enough of a, a streakiness on the on the lens to make the, the, the glare spread out in a particular direction. Then point your camera at a, something like a flashlight or a bright light bulb and just rotate it. And you will see this effect where the orientation of the glare rotates independently from the image. Uh, and we think you know, that's basically what's happening with this this uh, this gimbal video that the, perhaps the the front window of the camera is a bit streaked from flying through clouds or something like that, or perhaps there's some other thing inside which contributes to the shape of the glare. But there's a this is very strong mathematical relationship between the rotation of the glare and uh, the angle that's required by the camera. And there's a bunch of other things as well. You could actually see patterns of light in the background rotate at the same time as the object rotates. And you can see little bumps before it starts to rotate, which is maybe the engines uh, of the, the, the roll mechanism kicking in. And you can see that it's actually at the start of the, the video when the plane banks, the object's orientation doesn't blank bank, but the horizon does. So it's kind of decoupled from the horizon. It's not part of the environment, all of which points to it being just something in the camera. And I think pretty much, yeah, I think 99% of the people who have looked at it uh, in, in any depth will agree that this actually is uh, a glare. And you know, we've heard from the Pentagon that they ag agree that the uh, the orientation and the, ro the rotation of this object is in fact a camera artifact. This was uh, cited in the New York Times and uh, in ABC News, both citing, unfortunately, uh, anonymous Pentagon sources, but uh, that presumably with the New York Times, you know, they vet their sources. So it was a real person from the Pentagon basically agreeing with me. I have friends who are fascinated by the phenomena of potential UAPs and UFOs who still look to the gimbal video as being potentially the best possible case that we have been visited by some kind of alien technology. And I know that while everything you said sounded just so sober-minded and so intuitive and persuasive, I know that they're not persuaded. And one of the reasons they're not persuaded, at least as they've explained it to me, is that we seem to have multiple pilots saying that they've seen this phenomenon on their radar from several directions, which makes it less likely to have been the phen a phenomenon created by a single plane's infrared camera rotating in such a way as to create this dreidel-like phenomenon. What do you say to the fact that there are still pilots who seem similarly sober-minded, who are saying, I'm not persuaded by this explanation. We have multiple uh, Navy pilot sources saying we saw something like this on this day. Yeah. Well, the issue there is I think it's conflating a whole bunch of different cases. Uh, this one case, the gimbal case, uh, was seen by two pilots. You know, the, there's, the, there's two pilots flying the plane. And they didn't see anything with their naked eye. They saw something on the radar. And they, they say they saw a fleet of things on the radar. And then they pointed their infrared camera in that direction, and then they saw this this one rotating thing. And it seems like you know the what they're pointing at is a hot object, and that the rotation is part of the camera. That doesn't tell you anything really about what the object actually is. 
it still might be something interesting. It might be something uh, like like a distant plane, or it might be something that's that's closer, that's flying in a bizarre way that kind of defies uh, the laws of gravity. Still, uh, you can't tell. But you know what the explanation of the rotation does is it it means that there's now a plausible, benign, uh, mundane explanation for it. That's that's a potential explanation, but it doesn't disprove the possibility that we're still looking at something amazing. Then, of course, we've got all these other reports that have been happening around the same time. If you listen to some of the people who talk about um, what was going on in that area uh, of the uh, on the East Coast, they were saying they were seeing things pretty much every day. And if you're seeing something every day, just explaining one particular case doesn't really explain anything about all the other cases. Is there an outstanding mystery, like an unexplained mystery, an unknown that's still out there, that is, to your mind, the most interesting puzzle to solve in this space? Something that you haven't been able to look at and map out as you've done so expertly with the gimbal video. And you're still like, you know, I am not a deep believer in UFOs. I don't have a, I want to believe poster necessarily in my bedroom, but like, this is pretty weird. Is there an example like that to you? I think one of the best examples is the the Nimitz encounters. And this was actually a, a series of events back in uh, 2004. And uh, it started out with lots of strange blips on the radar. They were described as being groups of five objects moving from north to south at 100 miles per hour. And then there was another event when they went out to investigate what these blips were, where the pilots, David Fravor and Alex Dietrich, uh, saw what they described as a a white tic-tac-shaped object making strange movements and uh, mirroring their movements as as one went down to, to investigate it. And then later on, uh, another pilot took a video of something kind of similar to the gimbal video in a way uh, of what looks like a, a distant hot object. Uh, and this this is an event that has a lot of mythology built up around it. But the, the simple accounts of what the pilot saw is very much a bit of a mystery. If, if, if what they said was accurate, it's something that was kind of defying the laws of physics. Uh, but it could well be something where that um, operator uh, observer misperception played a, a large role. Um, and then people conflate all the different events within that. There's the video, and then there's the radar returns, and then visual sightings. If you assume those are all the same thing, it becomes re- really amazing. But if you separate them out into individual things, they're smaller parts of the same puzzle. But I think, for me, the biggest thing is, what did the pilots see that day? What was this white object that seemed to be uh, jumping around? Was it something like just... A, a significant illusion with something like a balloon? Or was it something like a, a high-tech drone that had perhaps been launched from a submarine, like a, a missile uh, type thing that was capable of uh, advanced maneuvering? So that's very much unknown. And it's also something we'll probably never figure out uh, until you know, maybe 50 years when the, uh, the, uh, the, the secrecy requirement is lifted, because it's one of those things that's hidden by the military. In June 2021, the U.S. Office of the Director of National Intelligence released a famous report on UAPs, and it famously came to no conclusion about what many of these phenomena were. If it's clear to you and to others that videos like Gimbal represent pilots mistaking an infrared glare for a flying object, and it is in the interest of the government to dispel unhelpful rumors about alien aircraft. Why didn't the DNI report come to any firm conclusion? Well, I think that perhaps overstates the degree to which it's in the government's interest to dispel uh, rumors. That's not really a priority for them. It's not something where they they follow Twitter and see what the, the latest talk is and then want to try to debunk it. Uh, <laughs> you know, their primary interest is in preserving national security. And so that's always going to take precedence over everything else. Uh, and they don't comment on things, basically. They also, they've said explicitly that if they investigate something like the gimbal video and they make a determination of what it is, then they will not tell us what they discover because the entire incident is covered by, by national security because of the advanced technology that is being used uh, both in the, the initial uh, event and you know, subsequent investigations as well. Uh, so they, their default position is simply not to tell you what uh, they found. And with things like the gimbal, 
I don't know what the object is. So from my perspective, it's still a UFO. It's something that's unidentified. It's just not as, as special as it was previously thought to be. It is something that could very well be of mundane origin. It's not necessarily uh, an advanced physics object, which it would be if it was actually rotating. The metaphor that comes to mind is it's like being a detective trying to solve an already complex crime where you have a certain degree of certainty that the expert witness is going to lie to you, right? Because the underlying facts of the case are often very confusing and require a lot of technology to pull apart. You know, why is a dreidel spinning in space and seeming to defy the laws of gravity? Oh, well, maybe it's because of the nature of the infrared camera and how it's positioned on the plane. And then as you get deeper into the story and try to really figure out what do we know about this, perhaps the most important source of information has no clear interest in being withholding, um, or, or, or excuse me, being transparent is withholding. Um, that seems to make our job and, and, and your job very difficult. Yeah, I, I would kind of not, not say it's uh, that they're necessarily going to lie to you. It's more like they just don't want to talk to you. It's if you have a, a, a witness who's brought up in a, uh, a culture where snitching is not a, uh, a, a thing that you do, you just don't want to talk to the police. It's kind of like that, but in reverse. The military does not want to be very forthcoming about every single thing that it is doing to the general public. It's uh, going to avoid lying wherever possible. And the best way of doing that is simply by not saying anything at all. Yeah, they've outsourced the investigation to us, the public. And I appreciate they're out there on the front lines trying to help us understand these UAP and UFOs and uh, strange phenomena. Nick West, thank you very, very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Plain English is produced by Devin Manzi. If you like the show, please go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Give us a five-star rating, leave a review. And don't forget to check out our TikTok at Plain English underscore. That's at Plain English underscore on TikTok. TikTok.